Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have an absolutely wonderful guest on today. We have Melissa. How are you today, Melissa? Hello. Doing hello. great so far. <laughs> That's such a cheery. Hello. Hello. That's perfect. <laughs> I love it. So Melissa is just amazing. We, I want to say she popped into our lives because she really did. Landon and I run The Good Book Club when we're not doing Mormonish, and we have all kinds of new members that just kind of show up at our monthly Zoom meetings to discuss a book. And a couple months ago, this amazing person just popped in <laughs> and we started talking. We're just like, oh my gosh, we really hit it off. We had so much fun. And within a month, we'd already made her a member of our executive board and we'd put her to work making slides. <laughs> Melissa has to smile, right? She's like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's true, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. No, she's just a wonderful person. And so her story is extremely interesting as we got to know her a little bit better. And so we had meant to have her on. We're like, we're going to have you on you know, whenever you have time, she's a busy mom, whenever you have time. But over the weekend, there were some things on social media that really struck us. And we thought, you know what, we want to have Melissa on sooner than later, because she's a person that can really address some of these things. Um, just very briefly, I'll discuss them and then we'll talk about them more later. But, you know, we sort of learned that there may be some impending changes to the church handbook having to do and, and very impactful of the transgender community and not in a positive way. And we're hearing these rumors, these rumblings, and we just thought this this is something that we want to touch on a little bit because this this would be something that would have a very negative and detrimental effect on people in this community, uh, loved ones, everyone around it. So, in fact, we called Melissa last night. We said, have you heard this? Poor Melissa, what happened? <laughs> I, it, it's been a day. It, yeah, new puppy being sick, schools being locked down. It, oh. was, it was a day. It was but a was day, and we topped, we topped it off by telling yeah. her this news about this negative thing that may be happening, impacting this community that she's so involved in. And we just made her like completely... <laughs> I may or may I not have cried so a bit. <laughs> I felt so bad. I'm like, we are the bearer of terrible news. Anyway, that being said. And then and the same weekend, um, we're hearing that the wonderful Richard Osler, known as Papa Osler, who's such an ally, you know, for the LGBTQ transgender community, you know, and he goes around and speaks everywhere to build bridges between people and, and form community. And um, he's kind of being shut down and forced out as far as being able to talk at a fireside back in Missouri. Anyway, just some kind of negative information out there. And we thought we would like to talk to Melissa about this a little bit more as we get more into the program. So that being said, that's why we said Saturday, we've got, we're taping on a Saturday afternoon. We're like, we've got to get you on. So this is kind of ad hoc in the middle of everything, but we're really excited to talk to Melissa. So Landon has um, a bio that he's going to read, and then we'll just dive right into a conversation. Yeah, I feel kind of ridiculous reading a bio because Melissa is not just a guest, she's a friend. Uh, and so exactly. I feel like I know her better than the, than the bio. <laughs> I felt ridiculous no. writing it, so. That's okay, but we'll, well go ahead and read, read If her you want to go off script, Landon, and you want to put in your own take on Melissa. So we I might, have to mention yes. the really fun part is that, you know, Landon and I are in, in Utah. Melissa lives somewhere else. And we actually even connected um, in person a couple weeks ago, which was even more amazing. Yeah and bonding and it just proves that sometimes you can meet people online and as i've said before they're not an axe murderer so. and, and we met her and it felt like we already knew her for yeah. like we've yeah, met her for many times before it was yeah. like just natural when we met her so. and not just the few months together. you know not even yeah. just a few months it felt like i've known you guys for ages yeah. 
Yep, exactly. Absolutely. Isn't that funny so. how that happens sometimes? Just like kindred spirits. I love it. All right. Do the best you can with the bio, okay, Landon, right. and then we'll just dive into it. <laughs> I'll go for it. So Melissa has been married to her husband, Brad, for 23 years. They have three children who keep them on their toes and three dogs that knock them on their butts. This is this is Melissa writing, and this tells yeah. you everything you need to know about Melissa. Yeah. This is her personality. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Melissa it's was all, born it, the oldest of six kids. She was raised in the church and never questioned if it was true. At 45, her brain broke, and she could no longer see it the same. Melissa battles rheumatoid arthritis, loves beating and, ch and chain mail. And that's beating, as in beads, not beating, Be like getting beat. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, beautiful. Well, I'm kind of tempted now, now that it's an option. <laughs> a little of both, maybe. Yes. <laughs> She's an avid reader in five book clubs, although her favorite is the good book club. Uh, she Who has like to that, say that? She has to say <laughs> She's passionate about building community and being a vocal ally for the LGBTQ plus community. And we just love her to death since she yep. joined our, our book club. We've just had so many good conversations with her and she just yeah. adds so many uh, yeah. ideas and so many neat things to our community that we've loved for her. And she just really has a neat, as we're, as we're going to visit with her today, she's got so many cool things that have happened in her life, so many uh, neat things in her family that are so different than other things I've heard uh, from other people that we've met in the post-Mormon community. So she really has some unique perspectives that she can add uh, to, to the post-Mormon community. So that's yeah. no. Melissa. We're super excited that, that we get to share our Melissa with our Mormonish <laughs> audience. So, so we heard your bio and let's, let's just start. You can maybe expand on that a little bit. Tell us a little bit about how you were raised and then kind of your journey, which is absolutely fascinating from a, a Landon said, Oh, I, I found a picture of Melissa on Facebook somewhere. It popped up from a couple years ago. And he said, well, Say what you said, Landon. It was so fascinating. Well, she looked like kind of like the Relief Society president. Uh, and uh, yeah, one, once you know uh, Melissa or once you've met her and she tells you a little bit about her journey, it's just so different because she's yeah. really made a big change in the last year. And it's, you know, it's been quite a journey for her in the last year. So I'll let her explain that. But yeah, yeah you, let's let's talk about it. it. Was, enough it enough about it. a whirlwind. Yeah. <laughs> yep, enough about us. So yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about a little expand a little on that biography and then just take us, you know, up to how you transitioned out and all of that. Tell us about your family. Let's just talk. Okay. So um I'm the oldest of six, as mentioned. Um it's it was a very orthodox family, um spanning generations of, you know, very committed to the church, very um strong, you know. I was home for the summer and found books about our family that came over from Denmark and, you know, just so much like that deep pioneer longtime Mormon history um, was very strong in a lot of my family. So it, we're talking about, like, I think for an example, I think when I was about 10 or 12, we were at a family reunion and we all had this, um, I don't know if it was like a contract or a covenant or that we all signed that said, you know, that we weren't going to watch R-rated movies, we weren't going to drink caffeine, we weren't going to use swear words, we weren't going to, um, you know, just even the little things that maybe uh, even as a believing uh, Mormon, or oh, sorry, LDS family, yeah. you might kind of say, oh, if we watch a PG-13 movie or yeah. if we, you know, drink a Coke, it'll be okay. And my family was like, nope, we are next level, we are this committed, 
here we go. And so um, that was just kind of like, you know, the water I was swimming in, we're not drinking caffeine, this is it. Like, I, you know, never even considered drinking coffee, never even considered, yeah. like it was never even an option in my head. I was that, wow. that committed, that focused, this is it, this is the way to go. Um, I did have a brother who uh, left the church when he was uh, 21 and, you know, loved him, supported him. We were, you know, it, it wasn't, I don't really feel like it was um, that we ostracized him or anything. That wasn't my perspective. I still loved him and adored him. But so we kind of had, you know, I definitely wasn't the first one to leave the church, which I think helped a lot. I feel like in a lot of ways, he kind of paved the way and put up with a lot of that, you know, the heartbreak and stuff. And then I, I don't know that necessarily he's the one that caused as much of the heartache because nobody ever really thought he was that invested in the church to begin with so it wasn't like this what just happened um kind of like oh, about, we expected it if anyone yeah, was yeah, gonna you, leave it was this gonna was, be him yeah I this. get that right but then about um 11 years ago my youngest brother left and that one just shook the whole family um and so he also did a lot of the work so that you know when I come along 12 years later saying I, I can't do this anymore um they were really there to say hey you're not alone this is we've been there we get it we understand and we're here to hold your hand we're here to support you we're here to um boo you up and be there and so that really made a huge difference for me because i did not realize how isolating and scary um it must have been for them to go through that so I felt very lucky to have them. So, uh, you know, graduated from high school, seminary graduate, (laughs) BYU, graduated in three years, single. I never got my money back. I (laughs) (laughs) never got that MRS degree, right? That I didn't. I I get that. I get that. um, So there was a while I was still living in Provo. And everybody's asking, when are you getting married? When are you going on a mission? And I'm like, uh, no, Only that's not really. <laughs> what else are you going to do? And I just got really kind of overwhelmed with it. I'm like, all right, I'm leaving. I'm moving away. I'm I'm done. And so I moved to Colorado. And my friends all said, oh, you're never going to get married now. Like, you're leaving Provo. How are you going to find somebody to get married outside of Provo? No one gets married outside of Provo. Yeah, it doesn't no happen. No one. Right? <laughs> no and I was like, you know what? That's a risk I'm willing to take. So um, I left and actually met my husband through um, my family. Um, and so I like to joke that it was an arranged marriage. You know, we started writing letters back when letters were like handwritten, not even right. emails, like we actually wrote Aww. letters. I had to get so Canadian romantic. postage. Yeah. So we have all of those. Um, so that was how we met. And uh, it was one of those, you know, pretty typical Mormon. We met in July. I moved out to Oklahoma and did the long distance thing. I moved out to Oklahoma in October. We got engaged in November and married in December. So, Perfect. you know, it's about as Mormon as you can get. <laughs> what you do. That's right. Yeah. And then we have uh, three kids. We have two boys. And then our youngest was uh, born female, but now identifies as non-binary. So um, those are our kiddos and they're just fantastic. Uh, my oldest just got home from his mission and just sent him to 
Rick, uh, not Rick anymore, uh, BYU-Idaho <laughs> two weeks ago. So, you know, and then my middle one moved out. So we're carrying along with the empty nest thing. So yeah. that's been a change. So then let's see, where do you guys want me to go from there? That's kind of like the long bio. Yeah, yeah. no, that's so, not. And go ahead. So you were absolutely uh, uh, all in believing Mormon until just about a year ago, right? You were... Um, you were a seminary teacher. You were married to the bishop. Uh, you had a son on a mission. You'd been in several wards. I think you were you were in Philadelphia. You were in a ward with um, uh, the Andy Reid uh, at one time <laughs> that you loved. Yeah, I know you loved him. Uh, moved to Oklahoma. You were the perfect Mormon family, basically. But uh, you said something happened. I think it was in your ward in Philadelphia where you met uh, a, a couple that kind of changed your life. You want to tell a little bit about that story and how that impacted your life? Yeah, I, I was definitely one of those um, Mormons. I'd never had coffee, never had tea, let alone like alcohol, cigarettes. None of that was even on my radar. Um, and so I was very believing, very orthodox. I get out to Philadelphia and my first experience, like, I mean, I knew that there was LGBTQ people in this world, right? Like, that's not a surprise, but I hadn't really had, like, those close, personal, like, these are our friends. These are somebody that we talk to, we hang out with. It, that had not really been my experience. And so um, I met, um, we, Brad had been in a program with them. And so Aaron and Stephen had been married for a few years, I think, by the time we met them. And... So what happened was, is that Stephen invited us over. My oldest was like 11 and um, Stephen invites us over to go swimming because they were in like this, you know, when you're in Philadelphia and you're in residency and you've got three kids and Philadelphia is already super expensive. We just didn't have a ton of money to do fun things. And they were living in this really nice apartment with this pool. And they're like, hey, why don't you come over and use our pool? And I was like, oh, that'd be so awesome. So we go over there and we're using the pool and he's letting us hang out. And then we went inside and I think he had like strawberries or something for us on the table. And we're all sitting around eating strawberries and talking. And and Stephen mentioned his husband, Aaron, and they are just one of those couples that are like couple goals. You know, you can just see how much they love each other. You can just, you know, it just their love for each other just kind of oozes off of them. It's just beautiful to see. And they're just the most lovely guys. And I just adore them. And so we're sitting there talking and he mentions his husband who he's madly in love with. And um, my oldest said, well, God doesn't um, support gay marriage. And I thought, like, oh my gosh, we're in their house. We're in their house. And we're, and, I, I just was sitting there kind of like, wow, that sounds horrible. I love this couple. Their love is beautiful and strong and frankly, something any couple would aspire to achieve. And God says that's wrong. And it just hit me to hear that and to see Stephen's face. They see him's face fall. Yeah. When he had done nothing but love us and support us 
it hurt deeply. And, uh, he, you know, he was always lovely to us after that. He was always so sweet and kind, but he never invited us back. I wouldn't have either. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, your son was 11, right? Yeah. And so he just knows the very black and white things that he's hearing from primary. And so I'm sure that your friend, I'm obviously just, uh, you know, but, but didn't hold it against anybody, of course. And I'm sure no, he, he was you know, lovely. He was yeah, wonderful. Exactly. And he's, and your son's a child, you know, and they just say, I, I mean, kids all the time say you're drinking coffee or, you know, all the time, the things they learn in primary, they have no problem telling adults. It's very interesting. But in this case, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry that happened. That's just, and then you, you really internalized that and you kept thinking about that. I mean, that's what I love about the part of this story that you didn't just say, okay, that happened. And now I'm moving on. Like you couldn't get that out of your head. Mm -mm. Well, the problem was for a while when I internalized it, I internalized it as Melissa's wrong. Melissa doesn't agree with God. Melissa, right. there's something wrong with Melissa that she is so happy for them. Like when they adopted their two children and I was just so thrilled and joyful and happy for them. And I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to be thrilled and happy. I'm not supposed to want to like scream and shout and like, whoa. And it, and you're just doing, I was just doing this mental thing because the church was true, right? The church is true. The, and this is therefore what God wants. And so I'm not agreeing with God. Therefore, you know, you pray until you get right. You do what you're supposed yeah. to do. And if you have a struggle, then you pray until you, your will aligns with God, right? Your will is also exactly. always supposed to align with God. And so if it doesn't, then you're supposed to keep praying or do whatever it takes to get your will back in line with God, right? Yep. And my will was not in line with God. And so I really struggled with that. And I had a lot of, um, you know, not necessarily the arguments or discussions with Brad, but I was just like, this just, this doctrine just really bothers me. It really, really hurts me. And I just, I'm struggling with it. But I wasn't internalized yet up until <laughs> um, what happened was um, Brad was serving as the bishop in her ward. Um, as mentioned, I was teaching seminary. Um, you know, I I was really just one of those believing this this is it, this is the way, you know, this is the way Mandalorian and um my youngest came up to me and said, I really need to talk to you. I, I need you to know that I'm an atheist and I, I don't believe in God. I have never believed in God. I got baptized because that was what you wanted and because I did not want to be rejected. And um, I sat there with him and I said, you know, Colette, I love you. And there's nothing you could say or do that's going to change that. I said, look at my brothers. We love my brothers. We don't treat them different. You are going to be loved. You are going to be accepted. You are going to fit in this family. There is nothing that's going to change that in this family. You are us. And um, I think Colette really heard that and internalized that. And um, and that kind of opened up the opportunity for Colette to open up some more. And so then Colette came up to me and said, all right, I just, you know, I 
really feel like I need to let you know that I kind of identify um, as um, a lesbian and I, and it's just, you know, I just don't think that I have that um, a normal attraction. And I said, Hey, that's, that's fine too. You know, we're um, this, this church, we're Mormon and you don't date till you're 16, you know? So whether you're dating boys or girls when you're 16, that's not, I'm not worried about it, but you're not dating till you're 16. But you know, when you get to 16, then you can choose if you're dating boys or girls, that's fine. I'm not, that's not a problem. And so then, you know, testing the waters a little bit more, like, oh, you know, gosh. little baby steps. And then oh. Colette came up to me and said, um, I don't feel like my gender works for me. I don't feel comfortable in this body. And I, I'm, I feel like I identify um, non-binary. And so there was a lot um, you know, I think they were testing the waters. They were getting kind of like, how much can I come out? How much can I say? How far can I go and still be loved and accepted in this church? Because, you know, as um, a family, we were attending church every week, right? And so every week, I'm sure there are lots of people that can relate to this as you're talking right now, Melissa. I absolutely know that they are. And I'm realizing that your husband is the bishop at this time. Isn't that correct? Yeah, your husband is the bishop. Yeah. And, and, and one thing that's amazing about this story is, is how supportive your husband yeah. has been through this whole thing. Yeah. That is something oh. that you don't usually see. Uh, yeah. He knows you're on this podcast today uh, and he was... He said thumbs he up has allowed, from what you he has tell allowed us, you so. to do what you feel you've needed to do all through your journey. And and uh, he's not the bishop anymore. He's now on the high council and he's allowed you to be who you need to be and feel the feelings that you've needed to feel. And I just say hats off to, to Brad. He has been yep. the support that he's been to you and your family and to allow each of you to have the journey that you've had has just been incredible. Uh, you don't see that very often. So you, you've really got a, a great support there. He truly is remarkable. He truly is. And, you know, even as a bishop, when my kid's telling me these things and I, and he's doing all of this out of love, right? When he's trying to put limits and boundaries on them, he's doing it from a place of love. But the the problem was, is that Colette's coming to me and saying every single week I'm having panic attacks. Every single week I'm in church. I'm hearing that my gender is wrong. I'm hearing that my attractions are wrong. I'm hearing that I need to have an eternal family or I'm not going to make it to heaven and be with my family. And all of these things that for years they've been internalizing and feeling that there's something wrong with them. And there was so much um internalized pain there and so you know Colette's having these panic attacks and Colette's having these um anxiety depression like it's it's rough I mean I'm not in the LGBTQ community I've never experienced that I'm you know I I can't relate to that but I can feel what my kid feels um from my perspective right I'm a very 
empathetic, 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 empathetic person. And I can just feel <laughs> you are. their pain, is, right? Yep. I just, I feel things very strongly. <laughs> and so um, when Colette says I'm having panic attacks and anxiety and I cannot go to church anymore. And Brad Bishop says, no, you need to go to church. Um, church, you don't have to believe you can be an atheist. That's fine. But church is where you get, um, there's good things to learn in church, even if it's not, um, you know, God. And there's community there and there's, you can feel the spirit there and it's yeah. good for you. So even if you're not a believing atheist, you're still going and right. it's not an option. And so Colette was continually having panic attacks, um, suicidal ideation, just, this was a really kind of miserable kid. and. Um, it was at this point that my middle son was, um, a junior and starting his, well, kind of halfway through the first semester of his junior year. And he says, did I mention the dogs kick me in the butt on the regular? <laughs> um, and so he says to me, um, I'm done with seminary. Um, I think you guys are in a cult and I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not going to seminary. And Brad's like, yeah, you are. Oh and gosh, um, Brad. <laughs> I mean, he's like, this is, this was, you know, the hard thing is that we got married. This is how we're going to raise our kids. We're going to, yes. you know, that's how I grew up. You go to church. Yep. No matter what you drive all night, you're still going to church. You're on vacation. You're going to church. There's no yeah. reason to not miss church unless you're sick, ill and puking. Right. Other than that, got sniffles, get to church. You know, there's not a reason to miss church. Right. And seminary, as long as you're in my house, you're going to seminary. Right. And so Brad's, you know, saying, well, Melissa, this is what we agreed to. This is we got married and this is what we were going to do. Right. And then I'm coming along saying, I can't, I can't support this. I like, he really thinks this is a cult. And if we're forcing like Davin, oops, sorry. So yeah, Davin actually said, I told him I was going to do this. It's okay. I said, <laughs> he said, if you guys force me to continue to go to seminary, I'm removing my names the day I turn 18. And so we're like, well, you know, we freak out and I'm like, Brad, let's determined. Let's, Let's take this back. Let's ease up on this because we're, this is not helping things. Right. Right. And Brad's like, nope, seminary is it. We, we have to do it. And so um, I realized that Brad's feeling this kind of, you know, as the bishop, he's feeling this and not even as a father, you know, to him, the right thing to do is to force this. Right. Because they'll yep. feel the spirit. They'll be taught things they yep. need to hear. So um, this to him is the loving step. And so he feels you know, kind of like I'm not supporting him. And so I felt like the best thing to do would be to get into therapy, get a family therapist. So it's not that I'm trying to fight with him and it's, you know, there's like an impartial third person. Right. right. So um, all four of us get into therapy and um, he says to Brad, do you, for one, God didn't force his kids to believe God didn't force his kids. Like God gives people um the autonomy to make those decisions um so what you're doing isn't necessarily the god-like thing to do 
And you also need to consider, is this what's best for your relationship with your kids? What is this doing to your relationship with your kids? And how much does that matter to you? Right. And so Brad, bless him, really dug deep and really thought about it and said, okay, I, I see this. I can see the logic and what it's doing. And so, yeah, you don't have to do seminary. Um, it's okay. But you guys still have to go to the first hour of church. So this Girl. was back when church was like three hours, right? Yeah. So he said, um, Colette, you can bring earbuds. You can bring like a, you know, a remote, you know, a phone, whatever. But you have to have button the seat. You have to be there. You know, I that's not optional. You have to be at church. And so um, I thought, okay, well, you know, Brad came this far so I can meet him partway, right? He came he came from where he was at and met us here. So I'm going to meet him here and say, okay, yeah, I will. Um, I will force my kid to go to church too. Um, even knowing that it was causing them that much hurt, I still did it. Um, and so I've got a lot to work through with that. But um, so about that time, that was, um, Give you the tape january of 2020 wow so what happens <laughs> perfect timing a couple months later <laughs> i really think it saved my kid's life wow um so all of a sudden nobody was going to church right right nobody's attending church and the and the peace that came to our household when it wasn't this weekly battle of going to young men's and going to young women's and going to activities. And all of a sudden we could just be at home and we could just be a family and we could just be who we were. Um, it was amazing. It was really amazing. And um, this was about, you know, about the time when, I, my mentality started changing from there's something wrong with me that I, I'm not okay with this LGBTQ doctrine and, and stuff to there's something wrong with them. The church is wrong because if I'm supposed to tell my kid and guess what, you don't get to get married you get to be celibate or you get to marry somebody that you're not attracted to. Here are your options. And I'm like, whoa. Like when I sat there and I started to like, you know, my kid's about to start dating soon. Can I tell them these are your options? No, I cannot. And if my love for my child is a fraction of what God's love is for my child. That's not, God's not going to do that, right? A loving God is not going to tell his kids your entire earth life gets to be alone. Like I'm no, I'm not, I don't buy it. I I'm out. Well, I wasn't out. Not yet. I, I'm, <laughs> I don't believe it. That's not, that's not God. And so then I spent some time um, in this space of, not that I'm wrong, but that the church is wrong, right? That this policy is wrong. This doctrine is wrong, but the church is still true. So they're going to fix it. 
they fixed um, their policies on black people in the priesthood. They fixed their doctrine on um, where they're no longer practicing polygamy, like big, huge, massive parts of the church changed, right? Like these aren't small little, like getting rid of the third hour or um, <laughs> they're easing not up policy on, changes, yeah. their doctrinal changes. Yeah. Yep. Huge, Which is what? Who huge knows? changes. Yeah. And so I'm like, and they're wrong about this too, right? They're wrong about this too. And it's gonna change. It's gonna be fixed because this God would never do this. So it's gonna be fixed and it's gonna change. And so then I was kind of in an anger phase for a while. I'm mad at the church and I'm frustrated with them, but I'm not saying anything. I'm really like, you know, my husband's a bishop. I don't want to say anything, you know, publicly about how much I'm frustrated. I don't want to say anything publicly. I can't like, you know, dye my hair blue. I can't like have like a billion piercings. Like I'm still like very <laughs> much in the... <laughs> No, I'm very much in the, I'm representing the church. I'm being, um, you know, an example for how I'm supposed to be living my life as a believing Mormon. And so I was still very much in this box, even though inside, like I remember my last um, Temple Recommend interview, he's asking me all the questions and, he, you know, the one about, do you support any organizations? And I'm like, I've got to tell you, I cannot handle the LGBTQ doctrine and policy. And there's, I'm just not okay with it. And he said, oh yeah, I hear you. I understand. It's okay. You can still go to the temple. And I was like, I don't think you understand like how <laughs> deeply this, like how deep this goes. But he's like, oh yeah, that's fine. We'll still give you your recommend. I was like, all right, still got to recommend. So, um, I, but I'm in this kind of place where I'm angry at the church, but the church is still true, right? So why would God do this? Why? And it's that thought stopping thing. I, you know, I let my brain get this far, right. but then I have to stop it there because the church is true and God's leading the church. So I can't take it that next step of what if, right? It's stopped here, right? My brain is not letting me go any further. So, which, you know, a logic person would say, if you believe the church is wrong and is led by God, wouldn't that like, wouldn't that tell you something? But no, it didn't. No, it did not. I didn't see it. Too complex. Still didn't yep. see it. No, no. I still believe the church is true, but I believe they were going to change. And um, everybody would tell me they won't. I'm like, they have to, because this is a human issue, a human rights issue. This is a humanity issue. This is not, this is science. This is reality. This isn't like a spiritual other plane. No, this is, this is humanity. And this is not optional. This is you know, because even the church changed from, you know, you, it's something you choose to, this is how you're born. This is how you were made. So, I mean, they came this far and I'm like, how can you come this far and then miss the boat still? Right. So, um, <laughs> this is how, and this is kind of embarrassing because people are like, oh, how did your shelf break? And it's like the most embarrassing story, but this is it. This <laughs> is, this is my reality. So what happened was, um, I hadn't been going for all of COVID. As mentioned, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Um, so I'm on um, immunosuppressing drugs. So I get sick super easily. I just, I catch everything. And so I'm like, I'm not going to church with, you know, I, I besides my seminary, I was also, I had like two or three state callings. And in my ward, I was a nursery leader. 
I'm like, I'm not going back to teaching little kids. And yeah, you're getting, not going to get no, sick I'm in not, nursery. That's never going to happen. <laughs> no, I'm not getting COVID. I cannot get Yikes. COVID, right? Like, no. So wow. I didn't go back. Um, I just did the Zoom meetings. Right. And um, they would call me to give talks. And so uh, I would say, all right. But if I'm giving a talk, I'm like up on the stand, right? And I'm not like mingling True. with the masses. So I'm up on the Good stand. And I'm like, I could do that. So I would give a talk and a couple months later, um, they said, uh, we're releasing, this is about, it had been about five years. Um, they knew that I hadn't been going to church for a couple of years. They knew that I had a kid out, then another um, a kid in the LGBT community and another kid that was no longer a believer in the church. So um, I don't know, I don't think that had anything um, to do with the fact that they released him because he really was a phenomenal bishop, but um, they said, okay, we're releasing Brad now. Um, would you be able to come and like bear your testimony? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. You know, and you get up there and I just, you know, I, it's not that I didn't say that the church is true. I just said, you know, that I love God. I love Christ. I know Brad loves you guys. Um, this is, you know, just those kind of things. I focused my beliefs very specifically or my my words very specifically right and um so brad gets called to the high council and he's like hey it'd be great if you would come with me i think you'd give fantastic talks and i would love to travel with you and you know because in oklahoma the wards are super spread out it's not like utah or it's yeah. a river block it's like that's you know two hours away that's pretty common in the mission field where the high councilman will travel with his wife and they both give a talk in Utah. That doesn't happen. He just goes to the ward next door, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty common in the mission field for that to happen. So yeah, yeah being, had, being the wife of the high councilman two years. is a big deal. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, yeah. And I, and I think he just wanted to um, have me back in church. You know, I had been attending with, on zoom but i hadn't been attending with him and i think he just kind of wanted to have me back there and it just meant a lot to him and so i did i said i will teach but i'm deciding what i'm going to talk like i'm picking my own topics because i'm still mad at the church right i'm like i'm i'm picking my topics i'm not going to teach what y'all want me to teach i'm teaching what i want to teach so i talked about gratitude and um god's unconditional love for us and um, and I didn't really say, you know, I know this church is true or anything like that. I, cause I was still mad and I was still frustrated and I still like trying to figure it out. Right. And so, um, gave a talk, um, with him in January and every time I gave a talk, I said, I'm only here to give a talk. I'm not coming back to church because COVID I'm still doing zoom. And every time I gave a talk, I'd say that I'm not coming back as long as there's zoom well they decided to stop doing zoom and said we need everybody in their seats zoom is not an option anymore we need you here in the pews feeling the spirit right and so this was it right like i can't do this foot in foot out where i'm frustrated and mad how am i feeling thing like this is it this is decision time can you go back and hear those things that damaged your child so completely every single week or not. And if not, what does that mean for your eternal salvation, right? What does that mean for your soul 
if you're walking away from the true church, right? So if you're not, if you're not going every week and you're walking away, what does that mean for your life, for your, you know, your afterlife? Like when you die, if you left the true church, what does that mean for you? Right. And I'm like, crap, I don't want to like lose my soul and lose my spouse. So I'm going to have to go back to church. And then in this like moment of clarity, what if there's a third option? What if it's not true? Wow. <laughs> right? The way that I never 45 years let that thought come anywhere near me. It was never a question. It was never an option until that moment. And at that moment, it felt like everything in my life crystallized in that instant. And everything made sense. Why I couldn't make the reconciliation between the church's doctrine, why I couldn't have those feelings about how I'm supposed to support, support my kid, right? All of these things I'd been battling in myself, all of these boxes I'd been stuffing myself into, and all of these ways I'd contorted myself to fit in that were hurting me, I just let it go. And the peace that I felt to my core to say, I am not wrong. I've been right the whole time. This whole time I was right. And it, it felt amazing. I thought it was going to be terrifying, but it felt amazing. But then you get into the holy crap I have spent 45 years of my life, everything <laughs> I believed, every particle of my being was devoted to this church right yeah. and who am I without it what am I without it and to, you know that dark night of the soul thing oh my gosh that was rough right that's like you're here and and then it's like throwing you into the deep end of a pool when you can't swim and it's like what am I even doing like there was no you know place in my brain for any of this stuff to even happen because I remember my sister had asked me like a year before, well, like you guys are good with the church, right? Like, I'm like Brad's the bishop. I'm teaching seminary. I've got three state callings. I'm fine. Like we're cool. I said, I'm mad. I'm mad at the church. I'm frustrated, but it's true. So I will just have to live with being frustrated because it's true. And I believed that. I absolutely believed that. Um. So then to have this realization and say, if God is in charge, and they're talking to God every day and they're conversing with him every day. Why wouldn't God tell him not to do this? Why wouldn't God tell them that they are killing people, literally killing people with this doctrine? He wouldn't. He wouldn't and he doesn't. Therefore, ergo, it's not real. Because if they're talking to God, if they are truly talking to God, this would not be here. And I even told Brad when I was going through this, even before I left the church, I said, Brad, because he said, you know, it was like, hey, let's 
pray about it. Let's read the scriptures. If you read church talks and if you pray and read the scriptures and read talks, you'll, you'll understand and you'll have peace with this doctrine and it, and you'll be okay. And I said, there's nothing in the doctrine that's going to make me feel better. There's nothing in the scriptures that makes me feel better. I'm pretty mad at God right now that this is even the doctrine in his church. So no, none of your solutions and none of your answers are fixing anything in my life right now. And I said, you and I, if we walk up to God right now, the both of us, I promise you I'm right. I said, there's nothing in my body that feels like God would do this. So I, I said, let's do it, Brad. Let's walk up to God. You and I right now, let's do it. I am right. I am right about this. Not about everything, but about this, I am right. That's how strongly I felt about it. And so when I brain broke, I'm out. I'm like, okay, well now what? Where do you go from here? You know, the indoctrination in your church, the whole life is there's, where will you go if you leave the church? What would you right. do? Yep. Nobody else has anything better. Nobody else has any answers. We're the ones that are talking to God. We're the ones with the answers. This is it. Where will you go? And so I've been thoroughly indoctrinated and I'm like, oh, there's nothing else out there. There's nothing else. Nobody else has any better answers. Nobody else is talking to God. If these guys aren't talking to God, nobody is. Like there, like there was nothing in my brain that said there's another church that's true. So then where do you go from there? Right. It's like this whole, it's the deconstruction thing. Right. And my deconstruction was so fast because I'd been in so much pain, putting myself in boxes that getting out of it felt so good. It was super fast. So I'm like, I don't, I don't think I've seen anyone who's been as fast as yours. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. It was nope really fast but you had an experience yeah. that really made it go that really made a quick change for you do you do you want to tell us a well, little bit about your scuba incident uh, and that wasn't even I mean that was kind of a little bit after because this was like you know I leave I I realize the church isn't true in February and my brain breaks it's not true so I'm like well I guess I have to look at the bible right bad idea yeah. you look at the bible and it's like ooh, this is yeah problematic you know adam and <laughs> at least adam and eve always felt weird to me and right. i'm like oh i don't have to believe in adam and eve anymore noah always felt weird to me <gasps> i don't have to try and make that i was a literal believer in the bible like i was like i don't know how god got the animals over there or how he got all those animals on there or fed it but i know he did that's right it's like i was a literal believer i didn't believe in the six thousand year earth i was like oh well each you know millennium is a thousand years you know i made yeah. these things work in my brain right and so when all of a sudden i'm looking at the bible with new eyes and i'm like nope i don't believe any of that like i'm done with that too and so then i lost my belief in the bible because adam and eve noah killing all of the egyptian young like nope i'm don't i don't believe any of this like i don't see god in any of this so then lose the bible so not a christian anymore so then where do you go from there and so i was like okay well there's some like you know nebulous spirit thing who you know maybe loves us maybe supports us is trying to like get us on a journey like there's some spirit out there there's something guiding me i just don't know what it is right but there has to be something out there but even like stuff like the you know the black people in the priesthood stuff all of that I was like oh I don't have to make any of this work anymore like all of right. it I don't make any of this work it's all just garbage and I it felt so good so I'm feeling great I'm feeling I mean it was hard not gonna lie it was kind of devastating for a minute to be like 
everything you ever thought was true all of a sudden is gone. But it felt so good to not have to excuse and justify things that were just horrible, right? And so I'm all of a sudden I'm like, okay, so let's look at this uh, nebulous spirit thing that I can call on if I need help or that will support me, right? So I'm I'm going kind of in this vein for a couple months. I, you know, my shelf broke in February, May. I am scuba diving with um, Brad and Colette and we've done night dives before and it's, you know, it was always fun and we loved it. And so we're doing this night dive and it was a shore dive. So a shore dive is where you uh, swim out, walk off the shore, swim out, and then you go down. Well, this, the dive master was an idiot and the lights that we had were basically garbage. There was no lights. I mean, it was just kind of terrifying underwater when you can't see anything. Like I couldn't even hardly find Colette. Like I spent the whole time trying to find the dive master and Colette. I didn't even enjoy anything else because I'm like, where's my kid? Where's my, I was holding Brad's hand the whole time, like death grip. And I spent the whole time like, where's my kid? Where's the dive master? Where's my kid? Where's the dive master? Like, and it was just miserable. So he finally says, let's go up. And I'm like, hallelujah. We get up to the top and he's like, all right, so inflate your BCDs. We're going to float on our backs and just kick back to the shore. So inflate our BCDs and we start kicking, right? We're just, and about 10 minutes later, he, he stops us and he's like, okay, well, we're kind of going off target. So I need you guys to kind of angle yourselves a little bit more uh, this way and kick harder. Okay. Angle ourselves, start kicking harder. Um, 10 minutes later, he says, all right, so we're actually further out at sea and further down the shore and we're caught in a riptide and um, we're going further out. And I said, okay, so what's the plan? You know, you're the, you're the dive master. Where's your flare? Where's your flag? Where's your radio? Where's your um, plan that somebody's going to come find us if we're not back at a certain time. Whereas, you know, we can't use the flashlights to like signal, even if I knew what SOS was, I wouldn't have been able to signal the flashlights were garbage. So what's the plan? Well, the plan is that we're going to swim back, but we're not swimming back. We're not getting any closer. We're getting further out to sea in the dark, in the middle of the night. So what's the plan? Start swimming. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> so we're I'm holding Colette's hand. Brad's holding Colette's hand. And we're just kicking as hard as we can, right? And so then um, the dive master is kind of pulling on my BCD. And Brad says, Melissa, I need you to let go of Colette's hand. And trust me to get them back. Okay. And I said, no way. I, I cannot let go. This is my kid. Like, how can I let go? And he said, you need to trust me and let her, let them go. And as awful as that sounded and as awful as that felt, I knew that's what I needed to do. I knew that for my kid, I had to let go. 
and <laughs> I I listened and I you know I couldn't see him because there's no light middle of the night middle of the ocean well not the middle of the ocean but you know what I'm saying middle of the night flashlights are garbage so I can't see them like I can't even see their flashlights I don't know where they are but I keep calling out hey you guys okay you know we're swimming we're kicking as hard as we can and I can hear them further out and each time I call out I can hear them further and further away from me and so I'm sitting there in this ocean and my husband and my kid are floating away from me and I'm like this is it this is like this is the time to call on that spirit to find that being that whoever's up there whoever has that you know power I, now's the time to do it right now's the time to call on that power now's the time to make a bargain I'll go back to church I'll believe in you again I will do anything to get my kid and my husband back to that shore and I laid there and I looked up in these stars in this vast world stars without number the depth of up there and I just looked up there because I'm laying on my back kicking my guts out and there was nothing for me there was just nothing there and I knew there's no bargains to make. There's no deals. There's no begging. There's no power. If we're getting back, it's because we swam our guts out. And there's nothing else that's going to get us there. And just that, to realize that <laughs> you're alone in this world, it, it was both, um, what's the word? terrifying and invigorating because all of a sudden it's up to me right yeah. if I'm getting yeah. back if I'm getting to this shore it's because I'm working with everything I have to get there there's I can't rely on anybody else I have to do this and so then it kind of so it's kind of like that paradox of both terrifying and gives you more power than you ever realized you had and so you use that power and I kicked my guts out and I made it back to the shore and my legs were jello and we were like a mile down the shoreline and had all this equipment to carry that's so heavy and so it's pretty miserable but you know um we all made it back uh, I have not been scuba diving since <laughs> but we are going again <laughs> in June you on that so <laughs> well, I'm going in June so wish me luck uh, I'm like Brad are you sure you want me to go again that's how I became an atheist <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's like oh. you'll be fine you'll so be fine. um yeah it was just one of those um experiences that until you like have you know they always say oh well everybody's an atheist until they have a near-death experience then they believe in god and then and i like that was my opposite that was not my experience at all when like i had actual fear for my my life my kid's life and my husband's life i realized i i had the opposite experience there was no like calling on god to see me at the last minute or you know i had the opposite experience of what i hear a lot of people say towards atheists and so i just I, I felt peace with it. Peace. I loved and your, that... 
I was oh, going to say gonna there's say... that phrase, oh, blah, 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 we have so much to talk about. Um, there are no atheists in foxholes, right? You've heard that before. I agree with you, Melissa, it's the opposite. Athe uh, foxholes create atheists. And right. when Melissa shared her story, Landon, uh, you know, Landon was just, he has had a similar experience. Why don't you share that, Landon? You know, and I have too. It's just, it's so interesting. I think this is why we bonded on this. Yeah, I loved her story because when I was in the military, um, I was in Georgia in the middle of the winter. We were doing training and it was January. It was raining. It was 40 degrees and it rained for days. Uh, we were soaking wet. Uh, we were sleeping in the mud. Uh, we would just sleep in a pile uh, to try to stay warm. And, you know, this was my first time really doing this. And I kept saying, they're going to come pick us up. I mean, my, my body's numb. I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my arms. They're going to come pick us up. And after two days, I finally realized nobody's coming. And that was the first time in my life I realized uh, that there's this point in your life where you can't depend on anyone else coming to take care of you. You got to just survive. And so, although I didn't become yeah. an atheist at that moment, when I did become an atheist, <laughs> That became my mantra. And I told yeah. Rebecca when I met her, I kept saying, this is kind of my mantra now is nobody's coming. Nobody's uh, we keep, coming. You know, That's everyone right. keeps saying, oh, the Savior's going to come and, and, right. and take care of this for us. And I'm like, my mantra is nobody's coming. We've got to take care of this ourselves. This earth life and everything that happens is we've got to take care of it ourselves. Nobody's coming. Uh, but you really jumped into the atheist community. Uh, you you're part of a group. You go to homeless shelters with an atheist group and feed the homeless. Uh, you, you, you're really involved in the atheist community. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things you do there? I know it's yeah. fairly recent that you've been doing it, but uh, you've definitely. Yeah, in. I just lost my belief a year ago. Like <laughs> everything's just... recent for Melissa. She's on steroids. Yes. Are you kidding? <laughs> Fast forward. Um, <laughs> And I, I think that's kind of the thing that I am passionate about community. Um, I am passionate about helping people feel like they have a place where they're not alone. Um, whether I'm doing it online or locally, I started um, a group for local other women who have uh, locally who have left the church. Um, I, I host parties for the post-Mormon community in Tulsa for men and women. I want people to feel connection because the isolation that I felt going through this was probably one of the hardest parts because, you know, you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're the only one. And not only are you are alone or the only one, you're doing it, you know, contrary to God's wishes. I'm doing it against Brad's wishes. I'm, you know, everything is fighting me on this. And I felt so alone with it. And so I did create a lot of communities and, you know, my own communities. Um, but then my friend in December, so what, five months ago, we were um, out for dinner and she was saying, oh, well, I'm going to this book club next week. And I'm like, book club? I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> you know, you are I, a serial book club uh, joiner, Melissa, which you're is not wrong. wonderful. You're not it's a good wrong. thing you're a speed reader. She reads how many books a day? Oh my goodness, it's incredible. <laughs> two times speed. I like everything's at two times speed. And yeah. I, I listen while I'm doing everything, driving, taking care of dogs, doing dishes. I always have some book going. I really do just love to learn. And here's the thing. I, I should probably backtrack a bit. When I left the church, 
I didn't even know Mormon stories existed. I didn't know about the CES letter. I didn't know, like, none of that was anywhere in my realm of experience. Like, I was not, there was nothing there in my head that said, oh, look for the truth claims. The church might not be true. Look at this history. I was like, oh, God's got this. I don't understand. It's all fine. Nothing to see here. These aren't the droids you're looking for. I I didn't know anything, right? So I, I realize it's not true. And then I'm like, what else do I not know? Right. So then I'm jumping into all these books and I'm jumping yeah. like obsessively listening to podcasts. Like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Like, I yeah. had no idea about like oh, so many things. And so my brain is like expanding and I'm like learning all of this stuff. And I'm like, holy cow, I was told this wasn't true. I was told this wasn't history, you know, and I'm like, oh, and it just, so I'm absorbing all of this information, right? And so joining all these book clubs, reading all these books about personal development, about brains, how your brain develops, how your brain interprets um, religion, all of these things. And so she says, hey, there's a book club. And I'm like, heck yeah, sign me up. So it's the Atheist Community of Tulsa. Um, And so I show up there and cry. (laughs) like. I'm a baby atheist. Like I've never done anything in the atheist. This is new to me. Like I just don't know what I'm book, so I'm here. <laughs> and they were just like they just embrace you. They're just like, hey, you're here. You're one of us. And that helps, right? That to feel when you're in the Mormon Church, and every week is something. Sometimes every day there's something. There's three hours or well, two hours of church, there's, you know, relief society activities and there's word activities and there's young women's activities. There's so much stuff and there's so much community there. Right. And the loss of that is really hard to let go of. So get in the atheist community. They're like, come on in. And, you know, they're welcoming to their book club. They're like, Oh, we also have game night and we also have service projects and <laughs> Like they have a game night every week. They're like, we have two, what they say, we have two educational things, two fun things, and then two service things every month. And so it's busy. It's not like this club that just kind of sits there. I mean, the Atheist Community of Tulsa is out there. You know, we go to a homeless sub, uh, center, day center um, every other month. And then the opposite months we're cleaning um, parks. Um, they go to Hope Testing Center and help build kits. I mean, they're putting themselves out there and trying to serve and yet they're also trying to teach they have had um people come speak on trans issues in oklahoma because there are so many trans issues in oklahoma um so they have speakers come and teach on all these different breadths of topic how to show people that atheists aren't scary why why put yourself out there right so that's what happened my first meeting i go to my very first atheist of tulsa like the educational meeting not the book club but the actual meeting and i show up there and they have funeral potatoes what? funeral <laughs> potatoes you're like I'm, home, I'm not lying i'm, home. I'm not lying <laughs> funeral, and i said this is how we know that funeral potatoes are true it's true for everybody. That's right. It transcends everyone. Yes. Oh my goodness. Funeral wow. potatoes are true. So they have their funeral potatoes and I'm like, oh, I'm home again. And um, the speaker talks about how atheists kind of have a bad rap, right? Mm-hmm. There's oh, yeah. not like people are kind of afraid of atheists. And he says, we need to 
be willing to put ourselves out there. We need to be willing to be visible as atheists because I hadn't really put anything out there, right? I'm still kind of like, it's nobody's business but mine, you know? And so um, I hadn't said anything. And I'm like, you know what? I see what he's saying. And so I'm like, all right, I'll go ahead and be a visible atheist. And it went spectacularly horrible. Um, <laughs> it was just you didn't not bring pretty. it up on your high council circuit, did you? That I can see how that wouldn't have gone over very well, <laughs> like a ton of rocks. Uh, like no. exactly. Oh but the gosh. thing that was beautiful when I did come out as atheist, and I got a lot of that. Uh, I think what was said was that um, atheists are lost, but are souls with uh, nothing to live for, or something like yeah. that. It was just angry, the angry, and fearful atheist. Yep, that's what we and. And my page, so while that hurt, my page blew up with all of my friends, Christian mostly, Mormon mostly, um, from all of the places I lived, like from places like Michigan, Philadelphia, Wisconsin, people I hadn't really lived next to for 10 years are hopping on my page saying, whoa, buddy, like if Melissa is saying we're out there doing the service project, want to come? Why would you like, this is Melissa here. Let's not like attack her. We all love her. Stop. Right. What are you doing? You're making us look bad. Stop it. And so I feel like even if it wasn't necessarily, um, it didn't feel like it went that great. I think in the long run, what it did was I felt loved because all of my friends came from years ago to rally around me. And that was special for me to feel that love and to feel that um, support from Christians, Mormons, well, Mormons are Christians in my opinion, but you know, everybody came and rallied around me and that was very helpful. And so I kind of feel like, um, you know, as my mission is to, I was so alone and so kind of scared. I'm willing to be vocal and put myself out there so that if somebody reads it, they know that they're not the only one. If somebody is questioning their place in the church, if somebody is questioning their belief in God, they're not the only one. I'm here. Me too. Call me. Talk to me. You're not alone. And so that's why it's not my nature at all to do something like this or to do something like that. I'm kind of like, I'd rather just kind of, you know, be behind the scenes, make stuff happen. But I realized that me sitting and being quiet isn't doing what I feel like I need to put out into the world. I feel like I've got to put stuff out into the world. And so now I guess that brings me full circle because now here I am and I spent so many years saying, oh, I can't say anything. Brad's a bishop. I'm a seminary teacher. I have to keep my opinions to myself. And all of a sudden all these fetters are off and I'm like, I will (laughs) never be quiet again about something that is wrong I will never shut my mouth and accept somebody else's authority over me nobody has authority over me except for me and nobody will ever shut me up again and that's what's so great about Brad is he's like yeah you know because I've had people say why can't you stop talking why can't you stop you know being so mean at the church and you know, bashing the church. I'm like, I'm not bashing the church. The only thing like there's so much like if I wanted to get into like church history or, you know, so many other current issues, I could, 
my focus, my only focus when I post things about the church is LGBTQ doctrine. Yeah. It has to change. People, my people are dying and I don't accept it and I will not shut up. And I said, I, you know, if, if I'm hurting you by what I'm posting, I will respect your boundaries. I will not post things at you, but you're going to have to block me or you're going to have to like turn me off because I'm not going to stop doing it. You put whatever boundaries you feel comfortable to protect yourself from me and what I'm saying, but I will never shut up again. I shut up and let people see things to my friends. I shut up for 10 years and didn't protect people who needed to be protected. And I'm never going to do it again. And so I am as loud and as vocal and as, and I mean, maybe it's a target. I'm, I'm going to put myself out there as much as I need to, to let people know that there is nothing wrong with them, that they are loved, they are whole, and there's nothing to change about them. And I'm going to keep doing it until everybody knows it and keep just, you know, there's nothing in me that prays, but I just, everything in me wishes that this doctrine would stop killing people. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm just being as loud as I can and trying to mitigate the hits of people that are saying, Melissa, please stop doing this because I can't, I won't. You're, you're even working on a short book right now that you brought out when you uh, came out and saw us (laughs) that we got to read a little bit about you. Want to just talk? Yeah. She's so talented, everybody. She's absolutely talented and passionate and a protector of people and just wonderful. So this project we were so excited about. Yeah. Please tell us about that. As much as you're comfortable sharing. I mean, I know it's in the works. So, but it's it's a little intimidating. I'm not going to lie. Like writing a book, like that's not, not my skill set, right? That's not really, um, never written, like, it's, it's not me, right? I hated English class. So well, it well, is you now, Melissa. So you better apparently just Melissa Mons, author. That's right. You're a whole new person. So, yeah, you found your voice. Yeah. So what happened was I was at a restaurant, and Brad, being oh, he really is such a gem, you guys, and he loves having these kind of conversations with me where we're discussing doctrine and we're discussing. Um, why I believe the way I do. He wants to know me. He's not afraid to have the hard conversations. He's not afraid to discuss uh, church history. And um, he's read all the stuff and he's still a very believing, faithful person. And so he likes having the discussions and he likes learning and he wants to know me. He loves me for who I am and he wants to know my heart. And I don't think Everybody who leaves the church has that in a spouse. And I I realized that I'm very lucky. So I'm at a restaurant with Brad and um, I'm talking about the LGBTQ issues and how, you know, I can't do it. And uh, I think he said something like, um, well, everybody has the same rules. You know, we're all here on earth and everybody has the same rules. It's not easy for anybody. We're all dealing, coming, you know, some people have alcohol addictions. Some people have nicotine addictions. Some people have physical maladies. Everybody has something that they're 
that they're working against or some kind of challenge, but we all have the same laws from God. And so um, basically what came from that was I said, it's not the same for everybody. We're not all on an equal playing field. I said, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you can't put like, <laughs> there's no alcohol on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's no like, you know, things on hierarchy of needs. It's not, you know, I want to gamble or I want to drink or I want to have coffee. None of those things are on the hierarchy of needs. What's on the hierarchy of needs is food, shelter, love, companionship. And you're That's telling me God is going to deny an actual human need. It's not an if, it's not a want. It's an actual need. People will die. <laughs> Babies die without constant touch affection interaction and you're telling me that god's going to tell people you know your challenge in life is to be alone celibate you're you're not going to live with anybody no that's not the same thing as it's hard to stay away from alcohol it's not the same thing so um i basically had i what i put it in is a staircase right there's we all have the same rule. We all have to go up this staircase. Um, some people are marathon runners and they just jog up that staircase. Some people, maybe a little bit of cash potato, it's a little bit harder to get that staircase. Then you got people like me who's got RA and climbing up that staircase. I can do it, but it's miserable going on down, right? You're going down. Is it the same for everybody? Technically, yes, but also no. It's not the same for everybody. And for some people, it's really is impossible like it really is impossible and so i i wrote this story i wrote it as it's called them um, an lds lgbtq plus parable um because i really just kind of wanted i did it a lot for brad but a lot for i really just wanted people who have these um they make excuses for why they're okay to discriminate why they're okay to not let lgbtq people um live the fulfillment of their lives right and keep them in this box and so they have all these excuses and all these reasons and so my parable kind of addresses all of them as much as i'm able to in the context of my parable um, all of their excuses for why they would um do that to the community and so i just kind of wanted to say nope <laughs> so that's where i'm at with that and, and I'm, then you I'm, shared that idea with a friend who happened to be a publisher. So this is real. It's not just somebody saying, oh, I'm going to write a book. No, this is a publisher saying, this is brilliant. So yeah, and we got well, to give you a little bit of the story. I know that you're still working on it, but yeah, it's so impactful and just such a great analogy. Yeah, I went out to metaphor. breakfast with her the next day. She was at a book signing for her book. She was doing yeah, a book see? signing for her book and I went to support <laughs> her and we went out to breakfast afterwards and I was telling her, I said, this is how I see it. And she's like, <laughs> we can make that a book and I'm like this needs to be a book <laughs> yeah so um yeah Daph definitely put me on that path and she's definitely holding my hand because I've I've been terrified but we're I'm gonna do it because I am do it. I'm I'm ready to ramp up my <laughs> my vocal outcry against yep. policies that are killing LGBTQ yep. people I'm, I'm ready to just, you know, and it's going to be hard. I'm putting my name on it. You know, I'm not hiding behind a pen name. I'm, I'm putting myself out there and, um, 
I was telling Landon like last week, I said, I'm just ready to burn bridges and I'm just, I'm not holding back. I'm putting it all out there. And I hope that people will know my heart and either be willing to put out the fire or to rebuild a bridge, you know, that they will know that I'm doing it out of love and a deep sense of desperation for these kids that are hearing this stuff. And so I hope that when I start, when I throw this out there and say, you know, let it burn, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And people are going to reject me and people are going to hate me for it. And I'm sad about that. It's not what I want. Uh, Not really my goal to have people in, but also I can't not be the advocate that I feel like I am capable of being. I'm capable of doing more. I'm capable of being louder. And so to shy back would not, would be um, an inadequate use of my abilities. To say the least, (laughs) Melissa, (laughs) to say the least. And I feel that those that love you will love you even more because of this stance. And this is why we wanted to have Melissa on today because she's just an amazing person. And at this point, I feel like there are just things coming down the pike that we are going to need those loud voices and those strong voices and those loving protectors. I I just feel like we're going to need that. Um, Like I said, I alluded to it at the beginning. There's some, you know, talk of some policy changes that are going to be very negative for the community that we're talking about today. And, you know, just some other strong voices that are trying to be shut down um, like Richard Osler and, and others. So I just felt this was a time to bring this out. I think Landon and I both agreed. We said, this is the time that we need to start talking about this to prepare for this kind of, you know, and I'm not trying to be like a fear monger. I'm not trying to do that. Oh, not, but I'm saying that you see these signs of things that are just happening, the way things are going a little bit. And so we all need to remind ourselves, I think, or think about where, how do we feel? Um, where do we fit in and what are we able to do? Not everyone is able to be loud like that. Some people have those strong feelings, but for whatever reason they can't, you know, they can support in other ways, but those of us that can, have a voice and support, like you said, Melissa, never going to be quiet again. And I'm seeing that all over social media as these rumors or thoughts of things that might happen. I'm seeing posting, this will not happen again. My voice is here. So, you know, that's exactly why we wanted to have Melissa on. Do you have any final thoughts, Landon? I just think this, this episode has been just, you know, I've had goosebumps the whole time. I think it's just, it's just been incredible. Your story and just your commitment and who you are and just the champion and protector that you are. It is, it is absolutely insane inspiring. So Landon, do you have anything final to add? And then we'll, yeah, we'll let we, Melissa get back to her new puppy, right? <laughs> so she's lost her love, mom. <laughs> we love Melissa. And yeah. I, I told her when, when, when I met her, I said, you don't have just a personality, you have a vibe. There's just a yes. vibe about her yes. that yes. Uh, just uh, enlightens everybody. And we love Brad. I haven't met Brad, yeah. but everything Brad. she tells us about <laughs> Brad, it's like, man, this dude is cool. You know, he just supports her so well and everything that he, everything she tells us, you're going, wow, this is not the standard, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, believing, uh, high councilman or Bishop. He supports her so well. And I just kudos to him. Uh, but I think that everyone who has watched this podcast is going to just fall in love with Melissa too, and see why we love her so much. So thank you so much, Melissa. We loved having you and we, we just love you and, and, can't wait till we see it book club again. <laughs> I know. 
I don't want to hear because... a funny story. Oh yeah. Tell a funny story real quick. So I was writing my um, atheist story and for a, a publication, which I, yeah. And so I, I printed it out so I could like, you know, do the red highlights thing. And I printed it out and it was late at night. Cause apparently that's when I write and I left it on the printer and the next morning Brad gets up and he finds it. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> and all this is, you know, cause for him, you know, I'm not going to be with him and forever anymore. Right. Like this is me leaving him and he read it and he said, this is a beautiful and you did a fantastic job. And, you know, so his love is like, you know, it's not encompassed in what the church tells him it needs to be encompassed in. Like his love for me is beyond that. And like he read my staircase story and he said, this is awesome. You did a great. I mean, he's reading my stories that are basically saying I'm fighting you. Right. And but he's, you know, giving me thumbs up and he's like, here's another example. I'm going into the uh, atheist, the atheist float for the pride parade. And he's like, oh, let's use my truck. He, a Christian, Mormon, driving wow. the atheist. I mean, he is just that kind of person. Yeah. And to have him in my corner really helps me do all this stuff. So yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't get away from this without saying that he's just that remarkable of a human. No, that, that's incredible. And, and we, as we talk to other people and interview them, we hear the opposite story many times and that is full of heartbreak and it's very sad. So this is wonderful to hear. So, well, um, we will have Melissa on again. That is an absolute guarantee because there are other things to talk about, but I'm so glad that we delved into this today. And thank you so much, Melissa. I know she has a super busy everything going on, as you can imagine, but she made time for this and it's just been amazing. So um, please like and subscribe and make sure that you hit the notification bell so that you can be notified when a new episode comes out. And again, it's just been absolutely lovely to spend the afternoon with Melissa and we will see you all next time on Mormonish. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.